This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. In partnership with the Compassionate Friends, I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here today with my mom and co-host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hi, Mom. Hi, Heidi. It's great to be on the show again. I missed a couple of weeks because we were off on a yoga retreat in Bali. I know. I missed having you in the studio. I actually did the shows with uh, the executive director of the Compassionate Friends, Alan Peterson, so he stood in for you. Yeah, great. I appreciate that. It's such a Compassionate Friends is such a great group. Well, Heidi, I am very excited about the show today. I've talked to you a little bit about it. I'm excited because I think that the man we're going to have on, Frank Campbell, really shows what you can do to empower and help people, and particularly those who've had a suicide loss. So why don't you introduce him? I would be honored to introduce him, Mom. Like you said, we're going to talk today with Dr. Frank Campbell, and we're going to talk about healing from suicide. And I first met Taps, met Frank at TAPS, the tragedy, the tragedy assist- uh, what's TAPS hide? Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors of Military Loss. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is loved and revered by not only the staff at TAPS, but by all the military families there. And he works with people that have had all kinds of losses, and they've been suicide, but not just military. So we're going to talk to him today about how you do heal after a suicide loss. And let me tell you a little bit about him first. Dr. Frank Campbell is a certified thanatologist and suicidologist. He is a past president of the American Association of Suicidology, and in his 30 years in the field, best known as the developer of the Active Postvention Model, or the LOST team, which stands for Local Outreach to Suicide Survivors Concept. Welcome to the show, Frank. Well, thank you. It's great to be on with both of you. Oh, it's great having you on. You know what? I'm going to change the name of your show. We've got it called Healing from Suicide, but I'm going to call it Empowering the Bereaved because I love uh, looking at your work and what you do with your teams. Can you tell, How did you get in the field of a suicide loss? Well, you know, I'm from Louisiana, so I like to joke and tell people I crawfished into it. I just kind of backed into it. it. And that's because I had to do an internship when I was in graduate school, and the only one that was 24 hours a day was the local crisis center. And the very first night I went there to be an intern, they put me in a suicide survivor support group, and I knew that this was a perfect match for me. These are the folks I most wanted to work with and dedicate my career to. So I've had the best job in the world. That's that's pretty amazing because a lot of people back away from Mm -hmm. that area, don't they? Well, some people can't stand the honest, hard truth of grief and especially traumatic loss with suicide visits on every individual and family, in my opinion. But what I found was these are the most resilient human beings I would ever have the honor of meeting. And if love would have intervened on suicide, none of them would have been there because they loved the people they lost, and the people they lost loved them. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know, I um, ran a, a compassionate friends group, my husband and I do, in uh, the Redwood City. I'm in California. And I just find that um, initially when people come in, there's just a lot of anger, a lot of hurt, 
and um, I, I see more anger among the suicide families than other kinds of death. And I particularly see some angry dads. Well, I think that part of what happens there, too, is not just anger about the loss, but let's admit that they've been thrown into a stigma pit. They've been thrown, because of this cause of death, into a place where people look and treat them differently. And that has been reported to me around the world. No matter where I've gone in the world to do this work, individuals say, you know, my Rolodex has gotten a lot smaller because I don't hear from people. They don't call me. They see me in the grocery store. They turn and go the other way. And so they're also angry about the loss of support in addition to their loved one that they are just spinning from that grief. Yeah, uh, I think also there's a lot of trauma around it, too. Some of them have found the person uh, or their, you know, their their wife maybe has found the person for the men, and and they're just, you know, they don't know what to do. There's so much energy around the whole thing, specific, uh, specifically early on with that shock phase. Well, the trauma is definitely a separate psychological construct, in my opinion. And even if they weren't present, they create a vicarious trauma by running this video over and over in their mind about the last moments of their loved one's death. So I agree with you. Trauma is ever-present in suicide where it might not be in other causes of death at all present. And, there, and there's another issue, too, I think. I've just seen a lot of uh, conflicting thoughts. Did they actually mean to kill themselves? You know, that kind of thing. Did, uh, you know, there's a big question, or was it suicide, or was it ac accidental? And, you know, they're very... Um, People come to the group seem to be pretty focused on that early on. As time goes on, they do get to the point where we're all at the point uh, over time with the idea that it really doesn't matter how they died. We miss them and we love them. Right. But it, you're absolutely right. In the beginning, there's a lot of that detective work that they're going through to try and construct a world in which this person they love might actually die by suicide because... As one mother said to me, it was easier for her to believe that aliens landed in the backyard, came through the bathroom window, and cloned her loved one, mm -hmm. snuck out, locked the window from outside, and flew away with their body, and just left behind the shell of a person that they don't recognize anymore as being their loved one. Mm -hmm. And then um, what about the blame that people give these families? I mean, that's that's one that really throws me. I mean, what, you know, trying to figure out why their loved one would do it, and let's blame the family. Yeah, I think that uh, all of that is attached to that stigma reality that people are questioning now what's wrong over here, though this is some contagious cause of death, and surely the family, those close, must have thrown something, when in reality, I think family are the most disabled to be able to identify someone at risk of suicide because, as I believe, suicide knows how to blend. It knows how to be at a party and appear to be doing fine while absolutely planning later that night how they might take their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and uh, also um, sometimes people look better right before because they have a plan. Isn't that right, Heidi? Well, yeah, that's, that's at least what I've, I've read. At the end, you know, when people have... A plan they start to kind of 
give away their things and start to kind of seem happier because maybe they have a way out. And like you said, Frank, people that die by suicide love their their they love their families tremendously, but they honestly yeah. just want to be out of the intense pain they're in. And sometimes they feel like their families would be a lot better off without them, when in reality their families are a lot worse off without them. Well, absolutely. I, I do believe that it um, symbolically it's as though they're standing at a fork in the road. And one sign says to live and one sign says to die. And they literally want to take it. Uh, they did, They are struggling. And when they finally make the decision to die, just no longer struggling with a decision gives them some buoyancy. Mm-hmm. So the treatment um, slogan is sudden improvement is no reason to relax because it's possible that that just means they've made the decision to die. But what family member wouldn't finally relax, finally get some peace if they see their loved one seemingly doing better, being more future-oriented, making plans for the future, and never knowing that that also includes in the calendar a date to die? Right, exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, some your loss team, and I know you're president of the uh, you were past president of the American Association of Suicidology. And is that basically a, a study group, or what does the American Association do? Well, the American Association is really quite holistic around suicide, not only here but around the world, and it's represented by people from all over. Um, but it's made up of survivors. A, a large number of the group are survivors, and they have probably led the charge on all the changes that we can salute in the last 50 years. There are researchers that began as a guild, 